Well, good morning, Avenue South. It's good to see you, and we're so grateful that you're here this morning on this uh, extended, if you will, holiday weekend with uh, the 4th of July on Tuesday. I know a lot of people are taking tomorrow off. If you're not, so sorry, but I know a lot of people are. So look around because everyone who's here is everyone who's not at the beach or not at the lake or not at the cabin in the woods. We're thrilled that you're here. And if you're joining us online from all those places, we love you. We're coveting right now. We'll deal with that later. But thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, We want to continue worshiping by reading God's word together. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, I hope that you will join me in the New Testament in the book of Philippians, in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians. And one of the reasons we're going to walk through this over the next today and four weeks during the month of July is because this is one of the most joyful, it it is unequivocally the most joyful letter from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Paul was a follower of Jesus, and he would write letters to churches, and this one is full of joy. And I don't know who doesn't need an extra helping of joy. Life is a grind. It's hard. It's a beautiful but a broken world, and we all need joy. You know, one of the things that I was mindful of, you know, almost a decade ago, there there was a best-selling author named Marie Kondo. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but she wrote a book called Tidying Up, and one of the things she was doing is trying to help people, individuals kind of reduce clutter in their life and organize things. And so her little method to her creativity was that you you go one category at a time. You look at your clothes closet or you look at your shoes or you look at your books on the shelf. And if that item, if that thing, no matter how you got it, who gave it to you, if you bought it, if it doesn't, what she said, spark joy, if it doesn't spark joy and make you happy, then you get rid of it. And so I'm going to be honest with you, I, I, I probably, like everybody else, I, I, gave it a, I gave it a try. Several years ago, <laughs> I went through my closet, I went through books, I went through sweatshirts, and I got rid of things that did not spark joy. The only problem with that is, several weeks and several months later, when it got cold, I missed that sweatshirt, never needed it before, now I missed the one that when I sparked joy, I gave it away. There were those books. I don't know why I'd never read them, but I had gotten rid of them because they didn't spark joy. I know some of us in the room, no book sparks joy, okay? But I was like, where did that book go? Oh, that's right. I gave it away when I was tidying up. Now, now that book has given way to, you know, her sparking joy, Netflix series, all all kind of stuff like that. I want to tell you what I learned in that is if we put our joy in how we feel in the moment, it's fleeting, It's fleeting. And so what what that really is, is happiness. Because happiness is rooted in how you feel in the moment, your emotions, your circumstances. That's happiness. It changes with how you feel from time to time. But joy is a peace and a confidence and a hope about reality that is not rooted in your circumstances or dictated by the things that are happening in your life but it is rooted in the constant, consistent, never-changing character of a God who is fully perfect, fully divine, who knows you best and loves you most. So for those of us in the room who showed up and you need a little more joy in your life, or for those of us in the room who will run into a hard spot at some point in the next several weeks or next several years, joy, you can have it. You can have as much joy as you want. And for the Christian, it's not rooted in how you feel or your circumstances. It's rooted in the perfect character of a loving, all-knowing, 
all-sovereign, all-in-control God. And that's exactly what we're going to look at, worship, and talk about this morning. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word as we look at Philippians chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 11 together and pray. Now, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started or he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I'll say the word of the Lord if you would say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, I do hope that it is a good day and an encouraging day for anyone who's here as part of our congregation this morning. But there are enough times in our lives where things are hard, they're difficult, and there are struggles and hardships. I pray, Lord, through the words of the Apostle Paul, and ultimately, more than him, he was simply your mouthpiece. By the words of the Holy Spirit, the risen Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that joy can be had by anyone, and it is not rooted in our circumstances, our thoughts, or even our emotions. It is rooted in who you are and your perfect character, and I pray that your joy would be the hope of any woman, man, teenager, or child this morning who wants to experience it. We pray this in the name of the one who is able to make a reality of what I just said and prayed, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, as we often do when we walk through the Scripture, keep your Bible open. I'm going to go back through and refer to some of these verses to help us understand what joy is and what it's rooted in, as I mentioned just a moment ago. One of the things I want you to know, look at verse 1, Paul and Timothy Paul and Timothy. Paul was the author of this letter, but his companion is a young pastor named Timothy, and he is writing to the servants or to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. 
He's writing to the church in Philippi, the Philippians. That's why that's what this book is called. And he says, I'm writing to the saints in Christ Jesus who are set apart. A saint is someone who is set apart for the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So immediately Paul is saying, I'm writing to you who is set apart from the things of this world. You are set apart. You are to be formed and shaped to look like Christ. But there are also some things that Christ offers that the rest of the world has not tapped into. They don't have access to apart from Christ, but you're a saint. And so therefore you have access to something that is unbelievable. He's talking about joy. He's talking about all the, the riches and the depths of the gospel, but he's talking to the saints. And so that's us. That's you. When you read a letter, read it as if it's to the church at Avenue South, the saints at Avenue South. He says, grace and peace to you in verse two. Did you see that? Grace and peace to you. You ever heard a worship service in, go in grace and peace? Grace and peace. Uh, I think all of us want peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but it is the ability to know that God will provide. He will take care. He is sovereign. He is in control. You cannot have true, lasting peace apart from receiving the grace of Jesus Christ. We're only two verses in, and what Paul is saying is if you want peace in your life, I know we all want joy. I'm jumping out on a limb there, assuming we do. I'm assuming you want joy. Paul's also talking about peace. You cannot, and I'm sure I'm talking to somebody in here. You're restless. You're not at, you're not at peace in your life for whatever reason. You cannot truly experience peace apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. And what that means is repenting of yourself and turning from yourself and turning towards Jesus Christ. And he says, you're set apart. You have experienced the grace through your salvation in Jesus, peace to you. But look what Paul goes on to say. Look at verse 3. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. You might want to underline that. I give thanks. He is approaching them. He's writing this letter from nearly 800 miles away from them. The church in Philippi is in the the part of the world that we know now as Greece. And so Macedonia, the northern part of Greece, the churches in Macedonia, Berea, Philippi, Thessaloniki, there was a church there called the church at Philippi. And he's writing to them from Rome, which was hundreds of miles away from them. I give thanks to God for every remembrance of you always praying with joy. I want to show you where what I talked about a moment ago is true, that joy is not dictated in the life of the Christ follower based on your circumstances. The reason Paul was writing to them from 800 miles away is he is imprisoned in Rome. Paul has been arrested for proclaiming the faith and appealing to Caesar. He wanted to share the gospel anywhere in the known world, but especially in the Roman Empire, in churches and synagogues. He wanted to share it with the religious leaders of the day. He wanted to share it with the political leaders of the day. And so Paul finds himself imprisoned in Rome. That is exactly why in verse 7 he said, You've been a support and encouragement to me, both in my imprisonments and my defense of the gospel. Paul is writing from a jail cell with gratitude in his heart, with joy in his heart. That defies his circumstances. That oftentimes defies logic. What I want to show you is that he's saying, I have joy. I not only have joy, I have gratitude in my heart when I talk to Jesus about you. And he's also, this is not only Paul's testimony, think about the church at Philippi. 
We saw a couple of weeks ago when Paul wrote about giving to the church in Corinth, he used the church in Philippi as an example. He told the church in Corinth, you're doing so many things well and you have tons of material wealth, but, but I want you to grow in the area of generosity. That, that's an area you can grow in your faith. And the example he used was the church at Philippi. Do you remember that? Do you remember that from 2 Corinthians? It's in chapter 8. And he says, the church in Philippi, they, they, um, they don't have what you have. Matter of fact, many of them have lost their jobs. They've been persecuted. They've been mistreated for their faith. Just a moment ago when Libby prayed, she talked about people around the world, brothers and sisters who this very morning could lose their life, that they could be mistreated, that they could have other things taken away for their, for their faith in Christ. That was happening in the church in Philippi. Paul is in a jail cell saying, I have gratitude in my heart and I have joy. That's our first indication. Joy is not dictated based on your circumstances. But he's also writing to a church that had great generosity and they had great joy. And they even, using that example, they even begged Paul, hey, on your mission trips, can we fund your mission trips? Now, you know what? Please let us financially support you. We would love to have joy in that. Paul saying, I have joy that is not dictated by my circumstances. He's writing this letter. The whole book is a group of people who have joy that is independent of their circumstances. So let me just say it one more time. For the Christian, the life of the follower of Jesus, joy is not determined by your circumstances. That would be happiness, and it's fading. But joy can be permanent. It can be lasting I'm always praying with joy for you. Did you see that in verse 4? I'm always praying with joy for you. And why did he have joy? Well, obviously, their partnership in the gospel. But also what? I give thanks in verse 5 for your partnership in the gospel. But I am confident. And this is one of the most quoted verses in ministry and to people in the church and Christian churches in North America. This is one of the most quoted passages, verses 3 through 6. I give thanks to God for you. I have joy in my heart for you. And I am sure of this, verse 6 says. I am absolutely certain of something, guys. I'm confident that he, that's Jesus, he who began a good work in you, will be faithful. Your translation may be a little bit different. But he will be faithful to carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What Paul is doing is he's saying, my joy is not rooted in my circumstances. Yours shouldn't be either. I find joy in the faithfulness, the consistency, the trustworthiness and the dependability of the God of the universe. My joy comes from his stability, not my own. My joy comes from his faithfulness that he always keeps his promises. My joy comes from the reality that he is in control. And even when you have hardship and even when you have struggles, you fall into the very hand of God who steadies you and saves you and can rescue you. Paul is saying, I have joy that is rooted in who God is. Now that's where our joy comes from as followers of Jesus. So if you do not have joy, let's reverse engineer this for just a moment. If you're struggling with joy in your life, this is a general question. 
I'm not calling out anybody by name or saying, is, is this an area you struggle in? But let me just pose this. If you lack joy, can you follow a trail from your lack of joy to your lack of faith and belief and trust in who God is? Can you follow a thread in your life from a lack of you placing consistently every day your faith and your belief and your praise in a God who is faithful and good and trustworthy and doesn't know how to fail? For many of us, we hear people and pastors talking about reading the Bible. You need to read the Bible daily. We hear people talk about you need to be in prayer daily. You need to commune with the Lord. That's just one of the reasons we have a moment of prayer together to give you, if you haven't done it at any of the other seven days of the week, to give you an opportunity to pray and talk and listen to the voice of the Lord. We talk about prayer. We talk about Bible study. We talk about being in a small group or biblical community with others. Some of those habits, we don't necessarily flourish on our own, right? We need handles to hold on to. We might want to grow closer to the Lord, but we don't just do it in our flesh. And so some of these handles help us hold on to our faith and others encourage us. And as you pray and as you pray with others and as you study the word and somebody points out in your Bible study that God is faithful. I mean, let's think about Joseph. Let's think about Joseph, not Jesus, earthly dad, Joseph, but Joseph of the Old Testament, who was literally thrown in a well by his brothers. And they lied to their dad that he had been killed by a wild animal. And he eventually gets sold into slavery and ends up in Egypt. And if you want to read this in the latter half of Genesis 37 through the end of the book, you'll see that there was a reconciliation when his brothers came to Egypt for grain. There was a famine in all of the known world. They came to Egypt for grain. And God had sovereignly put Joseph in a role that was second only in command to Pharaoh or the king of Egypt. And instead of retribution, instead of bitterness, instead of anger, and I'll show you, you thought you were sharp, I'll show you, Joseph says, what you meant for evil, the Lord has used for good. I will tell you that in life, especially as Christians, followers of Jesus, oftentimes hardship, struggle, circumstances that are unknown, we often get bitter or we get better. We get bitter or we get better if those are two polarities. And one of the things that we know about Joseph is he never quit talking to God. He never quit trusting in the promises of God. He never quit abiding with God, even when his brothers mistreated him. You ever had a brother mistreat you? Don't raise your hand. I won't ask my boys in service. You ever had a brother mistreat you? We'd all raise our hand. Never had a sister, a sibling. You feel done wrong by your parents, right? Like everyone can identify with that. And he still kept trusting and going back to God. What if you're in a small group in 2023 and you're studying the life of Joseph and in the middle of studying, you're like, my gosh, with all of the hardships, he still maybe wasn't always fired up about life. It's not what I'm saying. It's not always blissful. But what if while you're studying it, somebody points out Joseph's faithfulness, Joseph's consistent desire to bless and not to revenge. And you realize that his joy and his peace as well was rooted in his relationship with God and the faithfulness of God. Did you, did you hear me say what Joseph said? What you meant for evil, the Lord has used and has worked miraculously in a way that only he can for my good, for your good, for his glory. 
he consistently went back to the Lord. Is it possible that when you're not in a small group, when you're not in biblical community, you're robbing yourself of an opportunity to be prayed for, to be encouraged, to be reminded of Scripture? Is it possible that when you don't read the Bible, and maybe you only want to read the New Testament, not the Old Testament, some of these stories, right, that are uh, they're better than Netflix. They are almost unfathomable, but they're all true. And you see, if God took care of Naomi, and he took care of Ruth, and if he took care of Joseph, I mean, pick your struggle, and he took care of Mary and Joseph, and he took care of Jesus, his son, it's possible he's faithful and trustworthy and dependable, and I can put my joy in who he is. Is it possible believers in North America don't have more joy because we don't abide with Jesus. We don't spend time with him. We don't let him be the source of our joy. I confess to you, sometimes my joy is in a material possession. Sometimes it is in an experience, a concert, a road trip, a, a beach trip, whatever. There's nothing wrong with those things. I'm not preaching against those. But is your joy in material things that are fleeting, that spark joy for a moment, but then they're gone? You see, here's one of the things I noticed about Paul. Did you see what Paul started off the letter doing? He was praying. I, I, I'm praying and I'm telling you, I pray for y'all all the time. And when I pray, I have joy. One of the ways that you can increase your joy is to pray. Pray in general, but to pray for joy. I want to challenge you. If you are pursuing life without joy, like, and you're a follower of Jesus... You are a saint, you are set apart, but you also have access to things the rest of the world doesn't. Pray that the Lord will increase your joy. Pray that the Lord will increase your joy. He will do it. If your prayer is that your joy will be increased in his faithfulness, that is a prayer that the Lord loves to answer. And Paul started off by praying. So you need to pray for it because it's only available through the God that you're praying to, Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you what may be the hardest and most vulnerable step of it. You know, sometimes when I haven't had joy in my life, it's because I'm holding on to things that I think give me joy. Maybe even my marriage or my health or a possession or an experience. I want that next trip or that next thing to give me joy. I'm holding on to it so tightly that if the Lord wanted to remind me that my joy is in him, he's going to have to pry my fingers off of the things I'm looking for joy in, right? Anybody else ever do that? One of the most vulnerable, difficult, challenging things, maybe even for you this morning more than prayer, and quite honestly it is a prayer, is to say, Lord, this is bold. This will require faith. I realize what I'm asking you to do. Lord, I'm, I'm going to yield and submit my heart to you because that's where the seedbed of joy is, right here spiritually. And I'm going to yield my desires and where I find joy. And I'm going to let you transform my heart because I want your strength and your confidence and your character to be my joy. And to yield your heart to him so that he can transform it. He will then root you in his character, but he may also remove things from your life that give you joy, fleeting joy that is, but also get in the way of you really experiencing the abundant life that he came to give you. Peace, joy, hope, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It is 
faith in general is a very vulnerable, for some of us, risky, bold, courageous thing. When I was eight years old, the pastor preached a message and he said, does anybody want to follow Jesus? And I sat in the back of the church and I was like, I want to do that. And he said, if you want to follow Jesus, then when we sing in just a moment, you come down front. You walk down front. Because Jesus had talked about, if you publicly profess your belief in me, I will publicly profess that you are in relationship with me in front of my father. Don't be ashamed of that. And so in our church where I grew up, we had a public profession. And I'm going to be honest with you, as an eight-year-old, I was just as passionate and a little bit loud and a little bit outgoing like I am now. My personality hasn't changed. And I wept as I walked forward to receive Jesus. Because it was a little bit intimidating with 500 people in the sanctuary. It was risky, but I walked forward and I was like, oh my goodness. And, and the pastor met me there and he prayed with me. And my parents and others helped disciple me. They're, they're, like Even at my salvific salvation moment, there was, there was a step of faith involved, right? That may be something that's intimidating or scary. Or it feels uncomfortable for you to trust the Lord with your heart. Maybe there's somebody in the room that you do not have the peace of Jesus because you've never received the grace of his finished work through the cross for you, the forgiveness of your sin, eternal life. Chances are, if you're in here, you're watching online, and I'm saying that, you already know it. The Holy Spirit's already prepared and primed your heart to know that what you're missing and the lack of your joy is professing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe there's somebody in the room that you know you're saved, and, and when I told you that we, we, we have to profess our faith in Jesus every day. I'm not talking about if you're a follower of Jesus. Like when I was eight, I didn't know as much as I do now in my 40s, but it, it was legit. I repented of my sin as much as you can know. I asked Jesus to come into my life, and I've been a follower of Jesus. But there's been moments where my faith has grown cold or it has become stagnant. And, and I've, I've needed to remind myself, to preach the gospel to myself, I'm always a sinner in need of your grace. And I give you my heart again, not for salvation, but I'm going to loosen the grip that I have on it so that you can massage it, so that you can work in my heart, because I do want joy. And I've got to decrease so that you can increase in my life. And so this is vulnerable. This is hard. There's been seminal moments when I was in college, when I was in my 20s, when I surrendered to ministry. I mean, like, pick, pick the moments in your own life. Many of you probably know that, where you had an on your knees or... Jesus, I need your help, whatever it may Maybe you're in one of those today, and today is a great day to say, I want joy. But the risky step of faith is going to be, I'm going to have to surrender to you. I submit to you the life of Joseph and the life of Paul, and there's an entire church, the church at Philippi, that when you get to glory, you'll meet the Philippians who were characterized by joy I suggest to you that one of the most humbling things would be to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, but you may be on the precipice of the most consistent, steady, lasting joy in Christ that you've ever experienced in your life. And it starts by acknowledging you need it to come from Him. So maybe that's something you need to do this morning. We're going to spend five weeks in Philippians because it is, as I told you, Paul's most joyful letter. Today is a table setter. If you want joy, it's not found in you. It's found in Jesus. And you can have as much of it as you want. And we're going to mine the depths of his letter to the church in Philippians over the next four weeks. But here's what I want to give us a chance to do today. 
I want to give us a chance to surrender our hearts and our lives to the work of his Holy Spirit. Whatever response that may be. I told you it could be salvation, could be surrendering to him again. My heart's grown cold, it's grown stagnant. But here's one of the things we're going to do this morning to declare Jesus. We want you to work in our hearts so that we can experience your joy, so that we can experience your abundant life. We are, as a step of response, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. Now, I'm going to invite the band to come back up on the platform, and right now the deacons are going to be making their way to these tables. If you are a guest, but you are a follower of Jesus, you may at your church refer to this as communion. We call it the Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had communion or the Lord's Supper. He instituted a meal where he broke bread and shared the wine or the cup with his disciples. Now, these deacons are going to serve the band as they make their way to the platform. Remain seated for just a moment. But we want them to have a chance to be served before they lead us in worship. But when the Lord instituted this, he said, you should do this as often as you break bread and drink, whatever it is. You should remember me and what I've done for you on the cross and by the power of the resurrection to bring you eternal life. And as Paul told the church in Philippi, all the benefits of God's grace and his mercy in Christ. Peace, joy, love, all those things. And so in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to the table. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to do this. If you're in the front half of the room, you can step out towards the walls and come forward. The deacons will say the, the, the body of Christ broken for you as they offer you the plate. They'll say the cup of Christ shed for you as they offer you the cup. You will take those elements. You won't eat them at the tables. If you're in the back half of the room, it probably just logistically makes sense to go back there. They will offer those things to you, and then you will come back to your seats. And it gives you a chance to look at the bread and to look at the cup and to think about, like, everything I just preached about is made possible through the finished work of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. So why wouldn't we remember him in a moment like this when we're asking for joy? Why wouldn't we declare our allegiance to him our commitment and our devotion to him. That's one of the things Paul loved about the church in Philippi. They not only wanted Jesus as Savior, they consistently, better than many churches in the New Testament, said, we want you to be Lord every day of our lives. And so maybe as you look at the bread and the cup, you pray that prayer while you're seated there. My heart belongs to you. My life belongs to you. There's no God but you, and I need you. And I want you to be made Known. I want you to be worshipped. I want you to be honored in my life. Now, you can do whatever business you need to do with the Lord, but I'm going to pray for us. And then you're going to come to the tables. I'll just hang out somewhere around front when it looks like everyone who's a follower of Jesus who wants to be served has been served. Then I'll come back up here and we will partake of the bread and the cup together. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for the joy that you have made possible, like there is victory over sin, there is life after death. Like those things are real, and they have been accomplished by your Father through your life. And so therefore, there is joy available to anyone in this room. I pray that as we come to these tables, we would be mindful of that. We would, maybe we write a love letter back to you, just like Paul did. We tell you how grateful we are for your sacrifice. And we also ask for the joy that you bring through the good news 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This moment, this church, these lives belong to you. Be honored in it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.